When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called All That Jazz. The hardest word to guess in the game of hangman apparently is the word jazz. Jazz originated in New Orleans in the second half of the 19th century with people who came into the porch from all around the world sharing their music with each other. And jazz got its first big break in the 1890s when ragtime started to catch the ear of white Americans and of course the most famous ever ragtime composer and player was the wonderful Scott Joplin. The word muggle wasn't actually invented by J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. It was actually jazz slang for a marijuana smoker and a Dumbledore was an old name for a bumblebee. Researchers have found that men with lower levels of testosterone are more likely to enjoy sophisticated music such as classical or jazz, whereas men with higher levels of testosterone are more likely to enjoy unsophisticated music like soft rock or heavy metal. I'm going to leave a gap now to see if producer Mike has anything he'd like to interject. Hello, podcast pedants. It's producer Mike here responding to Callie. So, Callie, is this some sort of bald joke? If it is, I'll let the unsophisticated Johnny Rotten speak on behalf of all of us testosterone-fueled rock and rollers, bald or otherwise. And we don't care! Motherfuckers! And over in the animal world, Australian researchers have proved that sharks can correctly identify jazz music. And here's another little fact for you. Starlings, given the opioid fentanyl, sing songs in the style of freeform jazz. I think we'd all do that with enough of the opioid fentanyl. Okay, am I doing it all right? I always get confused. That's my guest today, Colette Cooper. Colette lives just up the road from me in North London. I'm a Camden girl. And in 2010, the pub opposite Mornington Crescent Tube Station was renamed the Littleton Arms after Humphrey Littleton, the jazz trumpeter and longtime host of the BBC radio show, I'm Sorry, I Haven't a Clue. Despite the official fascist anti-jazz line, Mussolini's own son Romano became one of post-war Italy's most celebrated jazz musicians. He married Sophia Loren's sister and he played with many greats, including Chet Baker, Dizzy Gillespie and Duke Ellington. And talking of the greats, a quote from the 19th century US jazz musician UB Blake shortly before he died aged 100. If I'd known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. But you can hear me though, right? I can hear you really well. Oh yeah, okay, great. 
As well as being a fellow North Londoner, Colette Cooper is an acclaimed actor, singer and songwriter. She's performed at all the major venues, including Ronnie Scott's, the Jazz Cafe and the 100 Club, and her music has been described as Janis Joplin channeling Edith Piaf. Details of Colette's one-woman show, Tomorrow May Be My Last, where she stars as Janis Joplin, are in the show notes. She's also the host of the Sisters in the Shadow podcast, where she showcases women in blues and jazz. And she's an ambassador for the Nordoff Robbins Music Therapy Charity, with all proceeds from her latest album, Lost, going to support them. We've got some of Colette's brilliant music at the end of our chat, so stay tuned right to the end of the podcast, motherfuckers. Now, it's also worth mentioning that we actually recorded this last year uh, when we weren't quite sure, I think it was the end of November we recorded it, and we weren't quite sure what the new variant would bring at that point. And Christmas was also just about looming into distant view. So there's a bit of Omicron and mulled wine talk, which might seem a little unseasonal listening to this as you are in uh, the second week in January. So Colette and I, as well as talking about the new variant and mulled wine, also talked about songwriting, finding your voice, losing your voice, busking, social media, music therapy, perception, reality, depression, netball, drink and running. But I started by asking her when it was she realised that she had a voice. It's funny because... I come from quite a, when I say musical family, I mean, like my brother sings. Actually, I don't come from a musical family because my two other sisters can't sing and they'll hate me for saying this. They play good spoons, though. But uh, <laughs> but my mum and dad sang, so we've always like had sing-alongs in the family. And I guess when I, when, so in between jobs and when I was at college uh, doing drama and stuff, I just used to just busk for a bit of money, but I never really took it seriously. And people used to say, oh, wow, you've got a great voice. I just... I never and then one day one day I just decided oh okay I might do a bit more of this and I got a really good jazz band together and I started doing all so, well, the jazz circuit and that's when it happened really and so did you could you say I just got a jazz band together and I so most people listening myself included we wouldn't just be like oh I'll just get a jazz band together and I can sing well so I thought that, <laughs> it could be quite hard to do and well, I just <laughs> yeah go ahead <laughs> I just thought, well, because I was just, I just thought, oh, I better have a go at this because people seem to like it. So I knew a few musicians and I play a bit. I'm not very good. I mean, I play a bit of piano, a bit of guitar, really trying to master the harmonica, but I couldn't do it on my own. I needed someone really good. So I just sort of asked friends who could play and I knew quite a few. And I said, look, do you want to, do you want to do a bit of you know, a bit of jazz. And so we did. And we played together for years. I played with an amazing array of musicians. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's when it happened, really. And is it is really somebody how it happened, to be honest? <laughs> so I can't hold a tune. I'm reasonably musical. I can play instruments, but I cannot hold a tune. And because I'm reasonably musical, I know how bad my singing is. And I've always thought, and I, I'm sure lots not. of people probably think this, when, when they hear someone like you or watch you perform or hear you, that if I always think if I could do what you could do, if I had a beautiful voice like that, I would just, I feel like it would be 
I would be fulfilled every minute of the day because to be able to just belt out a tune, like if you're feeling, I'm saying belt it out like you're some old yeah. nana at a, a sort of charity <laughs> gala at the PTA. And that's, that's so that probably is um, <laughs> not giving it its due credit in terms of the nuances of your voice. But but is that something, in terms of it being a release kind of day-to-day, do you sort of sing around the place and have it there as a release for yourself? Or do you not kind of sing in that way unless it's a performance? I do actually sometimes. Yeah, no, I do. If I haven't, if I haven't done a gig for a while, I do tend to open the fridge door and start singing. <laughs> I do. Even when the light's <laughs> I, broken. Yeah, I do tend to open the door to get some milk and end up going, ah! but no, I, I do. Yeah, I do sometimes. But when I'm, when I'm working or I've got gigs coming up, I do, I do, I'm quite serious about resting my voice and all that palaver. And does it, in terms of the actual performance, so people say to, you know, stand-ups like me, oh, that's a really scary thing to do. And we always think, well, not, really, not compared <gasps> to, you know, going into burning buildings or doing heart surgery. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. to me, the idea of singing, so obviously we've all got to remember material and we've all got a, an audience in our hands. Yeah. But is there pressure? I know before I go on stage as a comic, I often think I've got a frog in my throat and I think, oh, I can't speak and it's it's, it's bollocks, but I feel like that. And I, I'm sort of compulsively drinking water and clearing my throat. Yeah. What's the feeling then when you know not only have you That's, got to bring a voice, but the voice to the stage? That is so, so true, what you just said. It's so weird because it's like, so about, let's say about 15 minutes before I go on stage, all of a sudden I've got a sore throat. I'm like, oh my God, I've got a sore throat. Get me some honey, quick, quick. You, and it's just, obviously, it's in your head, you know, unless you really do have a sore throat. But, yeah, there is something about that. That's just a nervous thing. You Like, you know, it's, it's, it's nerves and you just start thinking. Uh, but then once you're on stage, and it'll be the same for you once you're on stage, it's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm an actor as well, so it's like just before I go on stage, I have forgotten every single line. It's funny, isn't stage, it? It's fine. And the more you think about it, I used to train people in kind of presenting and stuff when I was in the corporate world. And I used to say to them, you know, the thing, the thing to remember, and I try and remember this as a stand-up, is by the time you're about to go on, don't worry about what you're going to say or do. Just think about how you're going to do it. And, and as the more you're getting caught up in your head, the worse it's going to be. And the more you can just get into your body and think, right, I'm going to just turn up now and the rest will come. And I, if I have a bad uh-huh. gig, it tends to be because I'm a little bit too in my head and not enough just in my body. But is there, is there stuff kind of practically as somebody who doesn't sing? Are, are there things you literally do as you're preparing to go on stage to sing that, that relax you or that help you access that voice? Well, I do do sort of vocal warm-ups backstage. So I do a few vocal warm-ups, ginger shot, bit of manuka honey, and 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 that's it. And that's did you it, find because really. a few I was talking to a few comics backstage at um it was British Comedian of the Year last week, uh the final, which I might say I was only at because I was emceeing, not because I am was one of them. And there was you should chat be backstage. though. <laughs> Oh, bless you. You're brilliant. You can you can come every week on the podcast, Colette, until that Thank comes you, true. <laughs> um, but we were talking backstage and we were all, like everyone was very nervous because they were all headliners, but they were all doing a, um, you know, a competition for the first time probably in 20 years for most of them. But we were all saying that since yeah. lockdown, 
we've, we trip over our words in a way we never used to and that we do all start doing warm-up exercises because the basics that we never even struggled with as open mic has sort of disappeared in lockdown. And it must have been, we were still doing gigs in lockdown and sort of virtual comedy. It wasn't easy, yeah. but it must have been nigh on impossible to do what you do in a virtual world. So did you just have to rest up for 18 months? What happened? Well, I did do one online gig on Instagram um, which was really funny, actually. We had a laugh. And then it just, and what I quite liked about doing it on Instagram, you got all the comments saying, boo, yeah. get off, whatever. But uh, <laughs> but that was funny because you had some kind of interaction. But I'm very much a live performer. And it was just, that for me just doesn't work. I need to be in a room with people. And I guess I just did lots of other stuff. Like um, when we went, first went into lockdown, I went, we, we did this campaign for the NHS um started writing the play um or rewrites did the rewrites because we actually performed the play we did um a read through in 2019 so i, I did some rewrites on that was this the janice was so this tomorrow occupied was this tomorrow maybe yeah. my last yeah so yeah. it's good i'd love to talk about that so this is kind of your one woman show the kind of janice joplin story right yeah yeah and why uh, I've heard you described as Janice Joplin channeling Edith Piaf, which are, there's quite yeah, the names quite, to be compared to in their own indeed. right, let alone together. So, so what do you think about that as a description? Well, I, when, I kept getting it and I thought, well, it's so weird. Neither of them, my, you know, influences. I wasn't influenced by them growing up. I didn't really know much about either of them, if I'm honest. I knew of them, obviously, but I was never, I was never that interested in either of them. And, uh, so really what happened, I just, I, w I always wanted to combine acting and singing, but I never mm -hmm. wanted to do musical theatre. I don't, it's, musical theatre is definitely not me. And then a, a, a West End producer came to see a, a show I was doing at the 100 Club and he said, oh, you know, you, you should, you should do something. You should do some form of musical theatre or play somebody. And I thought, well, I'm not going to play Edith Piaf because I'd have to learn all that bloody French. And I thought, oh, God, I'm not doing that. <laughs> that's a lot then, to forget, isn't that's it? That's a lot to forget. And it's not something you can blag or make up, <laughs> is it, really? And then, um, so, and I thought about I thought about Janis Joplin. So I started to research. And what I found was really interesting, that we had so many similar things. We, we Like just what? So, well, we, our influences, we both adored Bessie Smith. Mm -hmm. That was her big influence, you know, and that was mine musically. And just, just lots and lots of things I found in common with her, but on, on lots, lots of things. And so I started to research her and I started to put something together. And then we had lots of hurdles and we, we did a read through in 2019. And of course we did, had the pandemic. And then, so I just sort of continued to work on it until we performed it back in, in June. So going from so that really is kind of shit or bust, isn't it? So you've written something, you were about to yep. do it, you couldn't do it, and then you, I guess it's like people on my side of the fence who wrote Edinburgh shows, and then suddenly three months before Edinburgh couldn't go and had to just yeah. sit with this one hour of stuff. So going from not being able to perform and all the internal insecurities that we always go through as performers that I think were kind of amplified in the pandemic, and then you've got to dial up to 100 your capacity as an actor and a musician and it's all on yeah. you so so take me through how, how was it the first one of those that you actually did after lockdown how, how was that experience 
Well, Callie, it was quite strange because obviously, we, first of all, we could only perform to half the capacity and everybody wearing masks mm-hmm. and sort of spread out in the auditorium, where it was a small one. And so that was really, when I first went on stage, I just looked at this, these people in these masks and that was really, that was really daunting and weird. Um, but then we broke that barrier, we got through that. And it, it was, it was kind of great because people were extra grateful, mm-hmm. to be honest. I think we could have been an absolute pile of shit and they wouldn't have cared. They just wanted entertainment. And so, you know, that part of it was just brilliant that people were so, so grateful. There was people crying because they'd just been locked up. And this one woman has been to see every show. And she just said, you know, it's, this helped me through such, such a bad period of my life. And, um, so that that was really that's when you hear things like that it's really nice you've given me goosebumps hearing that because there is something I don't know if you still have it but even though hopefully touch wood because we're just as we're recording this hearing about the new variant which by the time this goes out we'll know for sure um how it's kind of played out to some degree but there's something still I think about playing to live audiences I mean it obviously it's always feels electrical we wouldn't do it but it still feels massively kind of precious every time we do it. Don't you think yeah. I feel like I'm extra grateful and extra present every time because oh I just don't God. know when it might be stolen yeah. away again. That's so true because you, you do feel you have that, you have a massive sense of gratitude because, uh, because we've all shared that same experience of the uncertainty of what's happening. And uh, yeah, I think we, we, we all felt that as a team. We were really proud of ourselves that we were we were able to actually put anything on during during this pandemic. You know, you must feel the same as well. It's we, we, we really are fortunate because we could perform now and it could all stop again tomorrow, which is exactly what's happening at the moment, because we were supposed to um, be at the Arts Theatre in the West End this side of Christmas. And we cancelled it because we knew we just knew it wasn't the right time and with this new variant and one, we couldn't afford to lose the money Two, well, actually should be one that we didn't want to be responsible for spreading, spreading it further. And, you know, two, we didn't want to lose the money and we just felt it was the right thing to do to cancel it. Also, I think the risk for all of us when we're, you know, people listening, lots of people who listen to this are in our kind of business, but people who aren't, you know, it's not like a a theatre saying to us, we'll pay you X amount to come. We're taking the risk that, okay, we'll put this on, we'll hire the venue, and then we've got to somehow make this stack up. And the real problem is that as soon as people get nervous about the variant, they're not booking tickets for Christmas anymore. So we've suddenly got, even if we never lock down, people aren't going to bother booking because they'll be like, maybe we'll be in lockdown. So we get a sort of, we get penalised before anyone even gets near announcing lockdown right? oh, of course of course because I mean already I know so many things that have been cancelled already because Christmas parties even people are just scared you know they're just scared there's a lot of fear you can feel a lot of fear I know at this point I'm like, I'll take my bloody chances as long as it only makes me grow three extra heads I'll take it if I can just keep living <laughs> my life did you um did you in terms of your um kind of I don't know how you, how you are personally, you know, we don't know each other, so I don't know what your personality is like, but I've always known that I'm quite dependent upon a light being shone back at me from the outside world in order to think I'm worth anything. And I know that's not a very, that's quite a precarious way to live. Yeah, yeah. And, and without that, I quite rapidly lose my sense of self and I find it quite hard to know, to feel resilient when I don't have any external things going on in my yeah. life. And how was, how, how are you well, as compared to, to how I feel I, in that regard? I think 
I think, you know, and you'll probably, you probably agree with this, Kelly. I think most people feel like that. And I think mm -hmm. social media is very much responsible for that, for those feelings. Um, and social media has given us the, it is, it is given us the, the, the pathway into the outside world whilst it's all closed. We still have social media and we're all living in this social media bubble. You know, we know what everyone's doing or what they're not doing and how they're feeling. So I think social media is definitely a platform for either helping or hindering those feelings, you know, of having self-worth, you, you know, when people post things, um, you're waiting for reaction, ad adulation, you know, all those things. Or if you take yourself away from it, and again, we, we, we're not, you know, we, we can't perform or we can't tangibly do something. Um, yeah, I guess, I think creative people, it's like, it's like a flower dying if you, if you don't create, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It will shrivel up. It can physically make you ill. I, I think, think it does make people physically yeah. ill. I know I you're to, involved I in the Nordoff Robbins music um, therapy charity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, t t I, I've listened to a, um, a couple, I listened to you doing, and we'll put a link to it, you, you on a podcast um, with about that charity, for that charity. But tell us a bit, because music literally is, well, I know, I know when I've struggled with mental health, um, it's been more art therapy that I've been involved yeah. in rather than music. But, but tell me about what, what this charity does and, and how, it, how it works. Oh, Nordoff Robbins is, a, is an amazing charity, Kelly. It really is. Um, well, so the the other thing I did when we were going, just going back to me and said, what did we do in lockdown? I, so I released an album for them because they'd lost over 50% of their their um, funds, mm -hmm. as, as most charities, you know, did. Um, and I had, I didn't record any fresh material, but I had a collection of lots of, lots of songs. So I put it together and made an album for them and hopefully you know we're still raising funds for them in that way but on vinyl and we've sold quite a few and we've raised a bit of cash for them um well music i mean to put it to really simplify it you know if we're feel if we're feeling down or we're sad or distraught or whatever we, we play music we know how that makes us feel because we're just it's, it's quantum physics we're just molecules of energy mm -hmm. you know and music literally does move us you, you can do a test with water so if you have two glasses of water or in one glass you just have one glass of water and you play out classical music but then if you play out really hard metal you'll see the music move you have the water move have you ever done that experiment no i'm gonna do it yeah so um, and our bodies, of course, are made up of what ninety percent of water as well. Aren't, is it ninety percent? I can't, don't quite know the science there, but it's quite a lot. It's either humans or cucumbers that are ninety percent water, but you know, <laughs> either way, we can all rock out. <laughs> That's a good one. And so, uh, so you know, music—it's vibration. You know, music is vibration, and we're just vibrations. So it really does help us. It makes us happy. It can make us sad. So music therapy it actually it actually is therapy it's tangible it actually works you know is that scientifically works I'm really interested in the idea of um kind of expression when it comes to therapy because I think a lot yeah. of the time we we're again going back to that analogy that we're very in our heads so we're as human beings we're trying to understand things we're analyzing ourselves we might have had some therapy and a lot of it's spoken therapy yeah and then I'm really interested in the idea of actually just 
expressing it and getting it out because I think that's something we're less liable to do particularly in our culture we're a bit more repressed so we might we might just about talk about it but letting it out especially if you're not a talented musician or artist we we might think I I was struck when I was reading I love Philippa Perry's advice columns in the Guardian and there was one where somebody was sort of in emotional turmoil about a breakup could have been written by me to be honest but it wasn't and she said up this and whoever had written it was saying I'm just kind of obsessed and in these circular thinking patterns and Philippa Perry said well either look at a physical part of yourself and concentrate on how it feels you know look at your foot or feel your body sort of where it is and think about your body or draw your foot you know doesn't matter if you're crap at art just start doing a pencil drawing of your foot or your shoe or something in the room and and I thought god that's really interesting because what she's saying there is just interrupt your thoughts and your intellect and get into your body so is that a large part of what music therapy is do you think um, I, th- I, th- I think it is. Yeah. I think it's, it's, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll just sort of literally reiterate this again, because it's, I, I, it's, it's science, you know, as well. It's quantum physics and it does literally work with the vibrations mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. vibrations in our body, but by expressing it, yeah, you don't have to be a musician or a singer just to be involved, just to like music, to listen to music, you know, it, it's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful. And which, whichever mood we're in, you know, if we put on, put on one of our favorite songs, you, that will change you by in three minutes. And know? is that and, something, has it saved you? And right, because some of it's uh, listening to the album and we'll put links to all of this in the show notes. There are lots of kind of clues there about a kind of a darker tale. And, and also it struck me a sort of idea of, perception versus reality and the pressure to be perfect to be a certain person and obviously the title of the album itself lost so how does that link in obviously on the outside anyone who's seen you perform seen your pictures you know you look like the kind of epitome of having it sorted and you've got talent you're beautiful you're kind of you influence people in a lovely way but how, how is that versus what's going on under the skin then well no definitely I think we're all on a life journey aren't we and um, everyone's on their own journey and there's lots of lessons to be learned along the way. Um, but I've definitely had my, you know, fair share of um, heartache. And I'm also extremely sensitive and I can, I'm somebody who can dip into depression very, very, very quickly. Um, if I'm not, if I don't keep creative, if I don't keep light, if I don't work on myself, um, I'm just hypersensitive. I always have been, you know, growing up. But I lost lost my dad um, a few years back, and that was really devastating for me. And I think music really, really helped me, you know, um, especially writing music. And I think we write what we know. Mm-hmm. If you write what you know, it's like a diary. It's just a it's just, you know, it's your own little diary and your thoughts and you're expressing. And if you can get it out there, it does help internally. You know, it helps you not, it helps not to manifest the negative, you know, but to manifest the positive. And it is a release. It's a huge release. And it, so it definitely, definitely helped me. And is it, it's really helpful for people to hear, I think, because when they see, people tend to see people who do what we do, they, we know we can make ourselves look nice for the night. Yeah. We can portray something that's charismatic. And, and it's all, yeah. I always think that is a real part of ourselves. Or certainly when yeah. I do that on stage, it is me. Yeah. But I know that also sometimes I look at like a picture from the night before that someone took at a gig where I'm sort of shiny and sparkly and on it. Yeah. And the next day I can barely kind of, 
get myself to the kitchen to get a cup of tea because I feel so low. And oh, those God. are the extremes. Absolutely. It's not always like that. But yeah, so yeah. how do you, yeah. so it's probably really helpful for people to sort of hear that and, well, and know that. But how, how so at its, because at my darkest, I get quite dark. Are you somebody who also, when you, when you go down, you can go quite, quite low as well? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've learned to um, treat depression because still a lot of people don't like talking about depression. You know, I like to sort of treat those really dark moments of depression as if I have a cold. Mm-hmm. So I can feel it coming on. You can feel it physically coming on. So it's like, okay, I can feel this coming on. So what do I need to do? Go for a run, go for a walk, even if you don't want to get out of bed. That's the toughest. It's like anything. You think when you get a cold, what do you do? You take your vitamin C, you know, you, you, you do, you know, lemsip or all the things you would take, lots of ginger, lemon. You have to treat depression the same way. And it's, it's good to write all your thoughts down, to go for a run, put lots of love into yourself. Yeah, yeah. self care is. I remember self-care. when I first had psychiatric help for depression, and they, the therapist um, who I was seeing at the time said, "You know, what do you do for self care?" And I'd never even heard it as a phrase. And I was yeah. like, "Oh, <laughs> self care." It took yeah. me a few weeks to kind of wrap my head around the concept. Yeah. And do you? But I always think with that, um, it works really well. We're all as good as we can be when we've got the willpower and the common sense to do the right things. We all know what we should be doing. But then there are those times when I certainly, again, as part of my kind of highs and lows, kind of creative personality, uh, although I know, you know, lots of people have that. I'm not trying to say anything fancy about people who do what we do. But but is there um, the the capacity for self-sabotage? I sometimes find when I'm at my darkest I will not do the things that are helpful to me, even though I know what they might be. Yeah, and have you got that capacity <clears throat> for self-sabotage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the days where you, you you want to do all these things, you know you should do all these things, and you literally don't want to get out of bed. I think go with those feelings. Mm-hmm. They will pass. Just go with those feelings. Don't get out of bed. But again, you know, self-care. Don't get out of bed. Yeah, work with them, not against them. Go with those feelings. Yeah, because I think when you're trying to fight them and push them out, they get a bit stronger. And do you? I mean, you do. Um, I know you're really good. I know netball is a passion of yours, and you're and you run, and you're you're physically in good shape. And I guess to do what you do on stage, you need a good pair of lungs, (laughs) and you've got to be fit. Yeah. But do you? So does do you have a healthy lifestyle? Then are you somebody who stays away from like drink and drugs and try to try to be clean living? How, How does that? How does that all fit together with you as a whole person? Yeah, no, netball is a lifesaver for me because it's it's just like a form of meditating. You know, mm-hmm. you're in the game for an hour and that's all you think about. All I think about when you say netball is being the fat ginger kid with glasses who never got picked on the bench. No. <laughs> so you've just triggered me. Well, you're for me, certainly that is not, not that. relaxing. <laughs> no, but it's, it's um, yeah, I mean, it's a, like, like, yeah, a form of meditating. So which whatever helps you get out of your head for a certain amount of time you know get out of your head about anything else just 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 take yourself away from your own self your own thoughts so when I'm playing netball that's all I'm thinking about and it's it's brilliant as well as releasing those endorphins you're running around um I do yeah I do have a, li- a healthy lifestyle I hate drugs I hate anything did you to ever do because I used to do a fair yeah, no, I, I, I put in a good have. account of myself with the drink and the drugs and then I stopped but is it was it the same for you did you have years when you were a party person yeah well the thing is I I, I only dipped into it 
once my, when my dad died and it was a very short period of trying it and it luckily it didn't agree with me it made me really introverted so it was really weird did and, you find um, you were hanging out with people then that you wouldn't normally hang out with yeah, suddenly yeah. your whole social life really, changes exactly it? it was just a really horrible time in my life and um because before that, I'd never do drugs, you know, I was always like run for the county, you know, growing up, I was never one of those teenagers who wanted to go to nightclubs. I was getting up early, going running, I was running for the county, you know, things like that. I was more into sitting in my room and writing stories. And so I was luckily for my, my dad, I wasn't one of those tear away teenagers, but um, boring, really. It's quite boring. Not very rock and roll, is it? My off the rails. My that was my when I went off the rails. The teenage, yeah. but you. So yeah. that was much later in life when you were well beyond a teenager that you lost your dad, and that's what sent you finally off the rails. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely went off the rails. And then I just woke up one morning and thought, "What the fuck am I doing?" You know, and then, and um, just got back on the netball court, and then everything was fine. Um, and I do, you know, now I love a glass of red wine. Oh, I love lots of red wine. I don't know why I said It's always glass. close to us, though, wine. isn't it? In our world, you're, you're a real kind of a, a bit of a social pariah. If you don't really, I, I don't drink much these days. And I find yeah. sometimes, whether it's stuff within the comedy world or other parts of the industry that I work in, yeah. I still do other bits in the entertainment industry. And you're almost like, it, it, there's almost a pressure. It's like you're not one of the cool kids if you don't want to do that. So there's I almost know. a sort I of, know. even though you know why, I think if you don't drink at all, if someone says to you, do you want to drink? And you say, I don't drink anymore. They'll be like, oh, fair play. You're a recovered alcoholic or, or you're an alcoholic. I know yeah. alcoholics don't say they've ever recovered. But is it is that, do you find there's a pressure? If you're in, because you know, you've played all the big, you know, you've played Ronnie Scott's, the Hundred Club, um, you know, Jazz Cafe. There must be pressure to be sort of hanging around, having a glass of red, and looking cool afterwards as well, isn't there? Yeah, but you know what though? I don't really, I, I don't give a fuck what people think. If I'm if I'm working, especially, I won't drink. There's just, I just won't do it um, because it sends me over the edge. And it affects it, your some, voice, doesn't it? It affects my well. voice, your yeah. hearing, everything, and. Um, and you just, I don't need it. I don't need to have a drink to have a good time. If I want to go, you know, Christmas is coming. Of course, I'm going to go for more wine. Of course, I'm going to go for a nice glass of red wine. And I'm going to come with you now that we've worked that out. You are. Neighbors. Yes, Love you a are, Carly. You're a Absolutely. cider. Love a mulled cider. A mulled cider, the holly bush, mulled cider, gorgeous. But and I think I the alcohol's pretty much burnt off by then. Once it says mulled, you're it, virtually drinking lemonade, like aren't you? Yeah, that's why I like it, though, because you feel like you're having something, but you're not getting all too much alcohol. I just can't, you know, going back to being a super sensitive person, I can't really drink a lot of alcohol. I can't drink caffeine. There's so many things I can't do. So, I mean, but I don't need it. I'm, I'm happy without it. I, I get a bigger kick going for a run. Or playing netball. Yeah, I do. Just, I always think with yeah. running, and I don't know if you Running's find this. Great. Yeah, and, and I mean, we both live near Hampstead Heath, so we're lucky we've got a beautiful place to run. We're so but lucky. I, I mean, I love staying fit, and I'm aware, you know, in my 50s, if I don't keep running at the <gasps> level I'm running, I'll, I'll lose. Don't look the, it. Oh, look don't I? Fabulous. Bless you. Don't ever get too close to me in daylight. But no, yes, thank you. you. Do you look, you do, you look at least 10, 12, 15 years younger. Oh, bless you. Well, Serious. I do occasionally get mistaken for my uh, daughter's sister, which she hates, but I love. But it's, um, <gasps> but whenever I'm thinking fabulous. it, so there is a physical element yes. where I just think none of us are going to take up running or netball in our 50s or 60s. So we better just crack on if we're capable yeah. of it, because once we stop, we won't be able to do it again. But the other bit I always have, and I, I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but literally it's almost like about 20 minutes into a run. I just get this wash of everything's lighter and the way I feel when I leave the house compared to how I feel when I get back is markedly different Absolutely. in terms of my sight it's literally like Absolutely. a chemical flood that will usually last me about it 24 is. hours 
Yeah, it's amazing. And also, I don't know about you, but I literally solve the world's problems. I come up with the best ideas when I'm running. I just start thinking of it. It's just love it. Not when I'm playing netball, but when I'm running. When I'm just running on my own, I just, I love it. It's great. It's, you feel amazing. It's funny, isn't it? Also, you'll be grappling with, I, I don't know what the equivalent is in terms of songwriting, but I'll be grappling with a joke that I've been trying yeah, on stage and yeah. I can't do it. And then I'm running and bang, there it is. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the answer. That's the punchline. And then I have to, the challenge for me then is because I don't take a phone with me is to remember it till I get home. Yeah, so I, I've I go around album. there, chanting it's it. It's true. I've written a whole <laughs> album doing a run. <laughs> and it all gets, it's classic, isn't it? So when you, when you stop working hard, your subconscious is much cleverer than your conscious mind and it brings yeah. it all to the surface and suddenly you've got the answers. Namaste, First of all, you discover you've got the voice you've got, which for me, that's one of, I think anyone who can't sing usually has a fantasy of waking up one day and finding that they can. So that's that to me really? is incredible. Know, yeah. yeah, I think any of us who can't think that's a bit of a superpower. And then, and then on top of that, you then went from performing presumably other people's music to creating your own. So what was the yeah. transition from performing to creating your own stuff? Well, you know, I, I sang, you know, the... Um, American songbook around all the clubs and I just it, was, it just became a little bit I just didn't want to be singing other people's songs anymore you know um I just wanted to do my own stuff I just wanted to create my I had a lot to say I wanted to say my you know wanted to get my thoughts out there and feelings and um wanted to do, do my own stuff really and a bit of a oh, kind well, of Elton John question um, is is what oh, yeah. so what comes first if you think about his his mechanism of, of you know the lyrics being coming uh, in and then he does the music how does it yeah. work for you lyrics versus music depends sometimes no set rule sometimes it's a melody sometimes it's a lyric it's just absolutely no set rules mm -hmm. not for me anyway and then do you not have for me. to it's often a tune will come in my head and I'll sing it into my phone straight away right. You know? And is it then in terms of kind of inspiration, perspiration sort of continuum? So how much of it is things come to you and then you embellish them and make them into something? And how much of it is you sitting at a piano or pad or however you do it and actually going, well, I'm going I'm to write something there? How, what's your kind of discipline on that? Oh, being disciplined, actually sitting down and doing it. Well, um, sometimes I'm not disciplined at all. It's really bad. And then sometimes I really am. I think if I, if I have a project and I go, okay, this is my project, this is my time frame, this is what I want to do, then I'm very disciplined and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll start just working on it by the melody or lyrics, however, you know, it comes together. So it's really. a kind of organic no process of you, because I, I, I find the more I try and sit and write... I've got a new material night tonight, um, right after we finish this. And the only way I can do it, so I'll have about an hour from us hanging up this to me being at the venue. Yeah. And in that hour, because there's a gun to my head, I will come up with some things that will not be honed, but, but under pressure with nerves going through me, I'll do it in a way that if you said to me, you've got a whole weekend to write, I probably would have done sod all. So yeah. is it a bit like, do you, do you need a kind of performance deadline or to know you're working on an album or does it just flow or not flow as, as your days and weeks kind of go yeah, by? I, I hate the deadlines. I've never, I wouldn't give myself a deadline on that because then I think that puts pressure on you and it can block you creatively. Mm -hmm. 
I just I think... didn't have deadlines, Colette, when it was lockdown and everybody, all the comedians were like, oh, I had so much time to write. I was like, because I didn't have any gigs, I didn't write because I had no one. I didn't think, oh, by Tuesday, I've got to have a new 10 minutes. So I kept thinking. So for me, it, it is, I'm always to the wire of writing stuff. But I think the difference is probably as a comedian, tonight I can go on stage and it can be pretty much dog shit. And if it's a new material Never. night, it, it, I'll just about get away with it. I guess with what you're doing, you don't get to go and do a really shit song and everyone goes, oh, that was new. It'll be nice in six months. You've got yeah, to kind actually, of get out the gates uh, running, haven't you? Well, actually, no, because sometimes so you, you can work a song, write a song, and then before recording it, you know, you gig it because it develops. Yes. You know, it, it develops. There's songs that, that, for example, on that album that I, I perform now, they're quite different now. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I should have recorded it now because it's it's evolved, it's developed. So it's the same thing, really. You try it out, you play it, see what works. Oh, it's just I'm especially working with really great musicians and, and within, you know, and jazz because there's a lot of improvising and so things, a lot of magic happens on the night. So do you have you to be quite an instinctive performer doing the sort of music that you do? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Depending on who you're working with as well. You know, there's um, work with um, some guys who, you know, we'll go off on a tangent and then you do, you know. So, yeah, I think it is instinct, definitely. Definitely, actually. And it's interesting you yeah. said I, I work with some guys, you know, depends who I'm working with, um, at, at, because I know you meant metaphorically guys rather than gender-based, but your podcast, Sisters yeah. in the Shadow, um, it is looks at women in, in blues and jazz. So yeah. my, my perception as, uh, and I've long, long been a fan of, um, particularly of jazz, of, of listening to and watching, you know, going to live jazz, and women vocalists, obviously, that's not a new thing. But women musicians, it seems that there's been a massive turnaround in terms of their suddenly massive. being female. So what, what, how long would you say that's been going on? And how important is that to you as a female performer? Oh, I think it's it's really, really important to see women, you know, picking up a saxophone and a trumpet and getting out there because this, we lack them. You know, we lack these great musicians and I think it's just changed it's 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 changed hasn't it you know women want to be want careers they want to do things they want to they don't they're not settling just you know they're not settling to be married or have children which is also a great thing but mm -hmm. they tend to want more than that now and I think that's secondary you know I feel that's secondary I don't know about you I feel like Certain age groups, you know, uh, teenagers, 20, they, they're not they're not thinking about children or marriage. They're thinking about traveling. They're thinking about picking up an instrument. They're thinking about, you know, e being equal to, to men. And I think everybody can perform. That's also the difference, isn't it? So whereas there might have been a barrier to entry if the jazz you know, musician world was very male, nowadays obviously people can be getting content out any which way they like. So if someone's got yeah. a talent, they can find a way to be heard. Whereas when we were yeah. younger, you couldn't be heard unless someone gave you an actual platform or you fought to have one. So I guess that's also changed, which means that the nuances of people's voices can be heard and then we yeah. all decide what we like it's not exactly. being curated by venues on quite the same level as it always well, was there's, there's still quite a lot of sexism out there well i was going to ask you that because is is the i know in comedy the bit i find the hardest is backstage in um it's definitely changing really quickly and there are no shortage of incredible female comedians that's for sure but there are some clubs where it's quite old school backstage and i find yeah. it a bit 
to use a 90s term a bit laddie and yeah. I feel quite uncomfortable because of my age and my gender I feel like I'm, there's nothing no one there's nothing for me to say here and it, it, is there ever a feeling like that do you think if, if either as a as a singer or if you were a sort of younger female musician it, you know is that world still a bit sexist and a bit old school blokey or, or has it really changed well a lot? I've never experienced anything like that I think it's very different for female vocalists very very different because there's always been female vocalists. All the greats, you know, you think about it, especially the world of jazz and mm-hmm. blues. I mean, I'm a, I'm a blues singer really more than jazz, but in that whole world, there's always been jazz, female mm-hmm. jazz singers. They've, they've been, pro, you know, um, prominent, haven't mm-hmm. they? And, um, but now, now, because there's more instrumentalists, you know, it's it's what I find, and when I've spoken to a lot of them, it's a case of, um, especially club owners or promoters, or oh, we need to get in a female saxophonist mm-hmm. rather than we need to get in a good saxophonist. Mm-hmm. They're pointing out that female, and if you if you get you know a great female saxophonist and she's good looking, that's what will be pointed out before her playing. That's that's the that's the problem. Or if there's an all female band, uh, you know, jazz band, they'll point that out. They'll say, "Oh, we've got an all female jazz band." Oh, it's an all female jazz band. Well, you're not going to say that if it's all guys. You're just going to say, "Look at this jazz band." Yeah, it's you one know, of my like, pet hates in comedy. And I hate that. Yeah, there's a kind of um, that there's a there are various um, sort of platforms to try and bring kind of women's profiles up and get breakthrough sort of glass ceilings in comedy and that there and you know all female comedy nights and one of my absolute pet peeves is either if it's all done out in pink it's all like oh look we've got pink sequins on the poster or if it's billed as an all-female night so I am seeing a lot of all-female nights and the one thing I never ever mention is that it's all female and there's no need to because you would never say oh and it's an all-male comedy night tonight guys exactly exactly because you don't point out that it's an all-male but just you know why and and that's where that's where it's not equal but it's, it's getting equal. that I guess I remember when I, li- I lived in Amsterdam I still lived there part of the time but I lived there full time in the early 90s and I remember um, wow. a famous uh, Dutch uh, jazz musician Hans Dulfer and his daughter Candy Dulfer is a kind of world famous saxophonist and she's very beautiful long blonde hair and at the time yeah. I used to go to like the North Sea Jazz Festival in Rotterdam and all that stuff and, and, and she was like there was nobody like her it was like that was it, a glamorous beautiful blonde youngish woman playing the sax yeah. that was like unheard and that's of at the what time. would have been pointed out before her skills sadly oh yeah always and, and the marketing and also I wonder how much how she felt about that whether yeah. she was like you know how, how much she was like Jesus guys aren't built like this why am I getting why is this my hook rather than my yeah. talent yeah and yeah. is there in terms of your um your is you'll see I'm fixated on what it's like to be able to sing I can't just get that I can't let that go because I'm so fascinated <laughs> by it as a talent and it really is a talent you can't really teach somebody who's got no capacity to sing you could teach them to sing better but you couldn't teach them to sing do you have a favorite yeah. line to sing is there a favorite thing that always gives you those kind of that electric feeling to sing favorite line I tell you what I do when I do warm-ups I'm I always sing Aretha Franklin mm-hmm that just naturally I think I've done that for years and years and years and even just like around the house if you were to say for anyone listening this is the this is the bit you know listen to this song or listen to this part of what I do this will give you a sense of who Colette Cooper is what what would what would you refer them to what's the first thing someone should go listen to of yours lost soul 
Okay. Yeah, that's definitely. Beautiful. That's that's. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think that one for me is where you know that was a really tough time in my life. And, and is that the one? The video for that is that the one that Sadie Frost directed the video for? Yeah. Yeah, it's really yeah. worth. We'll put a link to that. It's beautiful as well. God, that must have been fun working on that, wasn't it? Well, I didn't really do much. I suppose she. Yeah, if you um, look at it, it's yeah, it's an all animated. animated so was, yeah, yeah. I just had to send in like photos and stuff. Didn't you have to well, swagger around looking all I mean, sexy and like walking like a badass? Because that's well, what it, was it is. Great isn't it? because. I, what's good about it I didn't have to do anything I didn't have to dress up I didn't have to <laughs> I love that I think I'm going to have an animated video for everyone you didn't have to do a juice cleanse I wouldn't mind yeah I didn't have to do a me. juice cleanse or anything like that <laughs> I thought oh god the thought of doing that right now <laughs> I know none of us Jesus. are our healthy best even though we've been talking about managing our mental health with good living namaste motherfuckers what would you pick as your namaste motherfucking moment I like this question. It's a good one. Well, I think um, I, what I think definitely doing Janice, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I'm really able to combine my two passions, you know, without doing them, without doing musical theatre. That's so for me, when when someone mentioned it to me at that gig, I just thought something clicked and I thought, you know what? Yeah, this is really great opportunity for me to really connect both both my passions and the reviews would work. say that you've done that quite successfully so I guess to date yeah. and we should say to date because there's plenty of uh, road ahead I would say but um to date that's been your sort of magnum opus then you think um the the tomorrow may be my last the Janis Joplin story yeah I think so I think definitely I mean we've and still got there... to do it yeah we've still got a good next year but still I think it's something that yeah definitely yeah for sure and you've got dates again we'll put links to this in the show notes but you've got dates I know we talked that you've had to sort of um, postpone a Christmas date but you're going to have dates in the UK in the new year in 2022 when people can go and yeah. see it brilliant I also have not yet yeah, seen no, it definitely. and I absolutely am going to oh yeah uh, got it. oh good I'm so pick on you I'm gonna yeah, pick, pick on, on me oh god that'll be nice the table's <laughs> turned and then you come see me do a gig and I'll pick on you it'll be brilliant um and I can't wait your... oh no you can't do that <laughs> well I can <laughs> And talking of what I, I do, um, I'm sitting at the back. <laughs> well, oh, I can see people at the back if I put my reading glasses on. Uh, so, what's your um, talking of comedy, Colette? What's your favourite joke? Oh, he'll have to be a drummer joke. <laughs> Being a musician. Okay, so how do you know when a drummer's knocking at your door? Go on. Because the knock gets faster. <laughs> <laughs> these drummer jokes are all so simple you know why don't you kelly so the rest of the band can understand them boom, boom, <laughs> see that in the comedy world is what we call a topper colette you were the first non-comedian who's managed a joke and a topper so you may well make it to the christmas cracker our favorite jokes compilation twice now with that and what's the um and if there was one bit of life advice you could give yeah. to anybody listening colette what would it be oh god i could go on all night about that um well, I think what's important, I think if you're in a position to help someone in life, I think you, you, you should. I think if you're in that position to help someone on your own pathway, your own journey in life, I think, you know, do it and be kind. And also be yourself and don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks. Do your own thing and don't worry about what anyone else thinks. Just get on with it. 
It is all about music therapy and in particular um, I've done a little bit of research of my own and I found a music therapy app that I'm going to try. It's called Sona, S-O-N-A. Um, I think there's also some employee well-being app called Sona but this is not that one. This is an award-winning AI-based music therapy app which uses music that's scientifically tested to relieve symptoms of depression and anxiety and to help you relax. Um, and apparently what happens is Grammy winning, that's what they say, Grammy winning, no less, composers produce original music for the app. Um, and the whole process and sort of theory behind it is backed by leading neuroscientists. So that's the Sona app. I'm going to give that a whirl. I should say they do not sponsor this podcast, although Sona, if you'd like to, feel free. Um, and there's info about the Sona app in the show notes, as well as talking of music therapy details of the wonderful Nordoff Robbins music therapy charity easy for me to say so that is pretty much it for this episode Um, I just wanted to thank everybody so much for your lovely feedback and listening and support over the Christmas and New Year period everyone seemed to love our bonus Christmas cracker episode if you haven't heard it it's not too late to go back it's a little half hour of stuff that will make you laugh and if you're new to the podcast I'll give you an idea of some of the brilliant guests we have had so far and boy do we have some brilliant ones lined up for you you in 2022 so keep on uh, listening give us reviews give us lovely five star ratings and tell every bloody motherfucker that you know about it and we will be back in your feed next monday as always when i'll be talking to comedian and host of the very popular comedians comedian podcast mr stuart goldsmith i was an actor briefly at that feeling of being an actor and going like oh this is my playing age 16 to 25 and then you see an actual 16-year-old be like, oh my god, what do I say? Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hansen and Karusha Dami for Pod People Productions, with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm.